You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. That's, that's a big bear. You think that's what killed the pilot? No. No, that's a tiny, teeny version compared to that. Guys, this isn't just a bear. It's a polar bear. Hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I'm also not an animal expert, and today we are talking about polar bears, and we have an animal expert with us, which is super exciting. Yeah! Hello, uh, everybody. Welcome, Doctor Adam Morris, to the show. Hello, Adam. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing great. <laughs> Welcome, Adam. Good to have you. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Adam, you are our animal expert today. Where did your fascination of animals come from? Where did that start? You know, it started really when I was a little little guy. Uh, I grew up in a suburb near Toronto, Ontario, and uh, it's a great little place to grow up. Tons of green space. My parents were very young, so we didn't have a lot of money to do, you know, expensive activities. So really, we spent all our time fishing, camping, and uh, with me routing through little creeks and finding all kinds of little invertebrates and fish and things. And uh, I was always really inquisitive about about what I was finding. So, you know, we spent a lot of time in the library then finding out what we had found in the creeks and things, and it just kind of developed from there. A little bit later on, sharks became uh, something that I was fascinated with, and I learned everything I could about the ocean. I love sharks. <laughs> I agree with you about sharks. I obsess over sharks. <laughs> They're pretty amazing, amazing animals. You know, they've uh, been dominant in the ocean for so long and they're uh, amazingly adapted to what they do just like uh, just like polar bears are to the ice actually but um cool <laughs> so how did you find yourself working around polar bears specifically yeah it's a good question it's uh so I, again, I studied uh, marine biology when I was in university um, and I kind of studied a lot about how animals adapt to their environments and things like that. But when I went on to do my, uh, my PhD, I wanted to do more kind of applied work with environmental sciences. And so I, I was studying a ring seal food chain in the Arctic, uh, including the seals and the fish they eat, the plankton that the fish eat, algae, and then water. And we were looking at how contaminants that we make in our part of the world build up in the food chains up there. A logical kind of extension of that is that polar bears mostly eat ring seal. And polar bears are the very top of the Arctic food chain. They're the apex predator of that system. So through eating ring seals, they get exposed to all kinds of contaminants that, uh, that we pump into the environment. Because I was studying the ring seals, I got associated with a polar bear expert. Uh, he provided me polar bear samples, and then it's a fact that I kind of became a polar bear guy as well. Uh, and now, for my postdoctoral fellowship, they call it when you finish your PhD, 
I'm working in Ottawa, Ontario, specifically on polar bears, and uh, I'm working with that guy who kind of turned me on to polar bears in the first place, and uh, we're looking at how all those contaminants that I mentioned affect the health of the bears, and we're also looking at the long-term trends of those contaminants in the polar bears and how climate change has been affecting those as well. So lots of different things in the go, but yeah, those are, those are my areas of expertise with polar bears, and honestly, I've... Uh, in addition to the sharks, the polar bears are now my one of my biggest loves in the world. They're pretty incredible animals, but um, you know they need some uh, they need to be monitored and helped as much as we can help them too. So that is really cool. You're also involved with educating and training the indigenous people in the Arctic. That's correct. We we really try to make sure that we do as much as we can in that respect when we work in the Arctic. Um, they had a lot of issues with education and um, you know in the past, so. Getting involved with that is, a, is something that's very close to my heart, and what's what's awesome is we have to well have to we we always hire them as guides when we're up in the north because I can't go skidooing around on the sea ice by myself obviously, um, <laughs> and so when I started working with some of the people up north it blew me away how much they know about the land about the ice and about the animals, it shouldn't have surprised me but it really did and just by their very nature, the way they depend on the environment for food still, whereas we farm ours, they're natural scientists in a lot of ways. They're a lot better than scientists than some of the others that I know. So now I, I try to give back. I go up and I give lectures uh, at the school up there. I, go, I went up to the Arctic College in Iqaluit, which is the capital of Nunavut. My boss and I were teaching a, a course on contaminants and polar bears there. Um, so yeah, it seems to be, we're really trying to make a difference and um, it seems to be, it seems to be that we're making a good impact on, uh, on things up there as well. Fantastic. But it's, it is not just about us teaching, though. You have to listen and learn and, and really respect the way that they do things as well, and that's a huge part of it as well. I've learned, I've learned way more than I've taught, to be perfectly honest. So. Yeah, and you know a whole lot. It was amazing when I first shared the show outline with you. You just inundated it with, like, walls of text, and, <laughs> and it was all just off the top of your head. You really know what you're talking about with these polar bears, and I'm afraid that the show today is just going to be scratching the surface compared to all the information that you gave us. Is there anything that you want to promote or anywhere that people can reach you if they have further questions about polar bears? Yeah, absolutely. My uh, my Twitter handle is at Adam D. Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S. Uh, I tweet a lot about science, but uh, also about fun stuff like comic books. Uh, occasionally, I tweet angrily about politics, too, but I try to stay away from that too much. Um, <laughs> but uh, people are welcome to, to follow me or send me messages through Twitter. I'd be happy to talk polar bears or any other kind of science, uh, especially stuff relating to the Arctic. It's... Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. My pleasure. Just a reminder to go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to the audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a nice little rating and review. And we also have a Pinterest board that's up to date. And I want to encourage people to go there and look at the Pinterest board because it's not just pictures of the cute animals, it's art of the various animals that we talk about, art and illustration and sometimes sculpture and jewelry and just all sorts of neat things that um, people are inspired to be creative with these animals that we talk about. And I know with the Polar Bears episode, there's going to be a ton of art and and material culture connected to that. So go and check it out. Now let's learn about Polar Bears. The kingdom of animals is fascinating. Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living pattern. 
So come on. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? The three of us today, we are blathering about polar bears. Polar bears are marine mammals that live in the Arctic Circle, which is the northerly part of the Earth that includes the Arctic Ocean and the furthest northern portions of Canada, Alaska, Russia, Iceland, Finland, Norway, and Sweden, and most of Greenland. Their scientific name is Ursus Maritimus, which roughly translated from its Latin meaning is Bear of the Sea. They are huge. Adult male polar bears weigh between 350 and 700 kilograms, which is up to 1,500 pounds and measure two and a half to three meters in total length or about 10 feet. They are one of the most sexually dimorphic mammals on the earth, so adult females are about half the size of males. Uh, like pigs, oddly enough, males are called boars and females are called sows. Unlike pigs, baby polar bears, just like other bears, are called cubs. A group of polar bears is called a pack or a sleuth or there's a pack of polar bears run. <laughs> <laughs> the Inuit word for polar bear is Nanook. And these bears hold a very important cultural place among the Inuit and they're treated with respect at all times, especially during hunts. Nanook is considered to be the master of the bears, who you offend with bad hunting practices or by disrespecting the meats and the hides and, and the other things that you harvest from the bears. So it's very, very bad luck to mistreat a hunted bear in their um, culture. Legend says that if a dead polar bear was treated properly by the hunter, it would share the good news with the other bears so that they would be eager to be killed by him. It would be an honor for them. So bears would stay away from hunters who failed to pay respect they have physical characteristics that are slightly different from the brown bear, which is its closest relatives. They have a longer skull and nose and a more elongated body than the brown bear that does. Its legs are stocky and its ears and tail are much shorter too. And they are easily recognizable as a polar bear. It's a big white bear that lives where it's cold. <laughs> now this week we did something a little special. We asked the Varminians in the Varmints discussion group on Facebook if they had any questions for Adam today. And the first two questions were kind of related, so I included them. Uh, one is from Stacy, and she asks, is their fur soft and fluffy like it looks, or is it coarse? And then Bridget asks, is it true that polar bear fur insulates so well that polar bears are invisible to thermal cameras? What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll answer the second one first. So yeah, the polar bears are amazingly well insulated. Their fur has two different layers. The outer furs are called guard hairs, and they are longer and coarser. Um, and then they have the inner layers, uh, light and fluffy, <laughs> light and fluffy fur under there. And that's really the insulating layer, and the guard hair is there to protect the insulating layer. But in addition to the fur, they also have a really thick fat layer. They don't store blubber like other marine mammals, like seals or whales, largely because the fat in polar bears is used for energy really in uh, times of need. They, they, can, they can produce more energy from that fat very quickly. Um, so between the fat layer and the fur, from my understanding, yeah, they, bears are basically invisible to thermal cameras in the winter. You can see a little bit of heat around their mouths um, and when they breathe, but other than that, they, they look pretty much at the same temperature as their surroundings, which is pretty incredible. Uh, wow. Wow. But the coolest thing about the fur to me is that the skin of a polar bear is black and the fur is actually clear. Yet when it combines, you have a bright white bear. And that's a pretty amazing trick of, of science and optics. So as the sunlight goes into it, 
it radiates around the, the hair follicle, which, which is hollow. And uh, it actually creates something called luminescence, which makes the bear look bright, bright white. Um, so in addition to, again, all the insulating properties that are very important in the Arctic, they conceal it and camouflage it almost perfectly. That is really cool. I don't, that's a really neat concept because I, you learn that stuff in art class and then you don't think about how it, how it applies in the natural world. And I love it when stuff like that happens. <laughs> like, oh, it's so cool. <laughs> the principles of luminescence are in evolution. It's awesome. <laughs> so I was going to talk about, you had on your list about the feet. So I decided to do some extra research on the feet. I was looking um, for an article about their weight distribution because they're there and I found something else but just real briefly they have these feet that spread out and become snowshoes for them they're they uh the, the feet are they're the broadest of all the bears right so is that correct uh yeah as far as I know the uh yeah, yeah. the black bear and that's what I read black and, bears I and grizzly bears double check Black bears and grizzly bears don't need the snowshoes quite as much, so. <laughs> right, because they spread out so wide that they can actually distribute their weight over a large enough area that they don't sink into the snow, which is brilliant and amazing. And I was going to kind of look into what the physical dynamics of that were, but I ran across an article that was just super interesting, so I thought I'd talk about that instead. Um in addition to their feet being amazing and huge, they're also stinky. And apparently, they might use them to communicate. <laughs> um, polar bears have huge ranges, as I'm sure our guest can tell us. Like, they're massive. And so in a 2014 study in the Journal of Zoology, um, they, they decided to go ahead and try to study some of this. They were thinking that they might leave scent from their feet because they have huge sweat glands in their feet um so basically anecdotal evidence of scientists tracking polar bears sniffing each other's tracks or what led to this set of studies and megan owen of the institute of conservation research at the san diego zoo and colleagues from Polar Bears International and the U.S. Geological Survey decided to investigate. So they took samples of a scent left by the feet of 203 wild polar bears living around either the southern Beaufort Sea or the Chukchi Sea in the Arctic Ocean. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but... Chukchi. Chukchi? Okay. Yep. They offered these scents to 10 adult male polar bears and 16 adult females, both wild and captive-born uh, living in ten different zoos across North America, and they were more attracted to the scents left by wild bears in the spring and to bears of the opposite sex. Males were especially interested in female bears in estrus. So they examined the feet of the polar bears, as I talked about before, and they found prominent sweat glands within the paws of two females. Um, other mammals are known to use similar sweat glands to communicate inf information about their territory. I'm reading a lot of this from the article because I want to make sure I get it right. And their sexual or reproductive <laughs> status. And it may also be that the bears use their feet to tread urine into the ground and ice, but nobody really knows yet. But that could be another way to mark trails. But together, the results suggest that polar bears use their smelly feet to communicate information about themselves to other bears, especially at certain times of the year. And if this is true, it means that polar bears communicate differently to other bears because they mark vertical objects such as trees and stuff. And polar bears might do that. I don't know. They don't say. But... Um, 
uh, they have an additional communication feature if this is a if this is really a thing, because most of their natural habitat is dominated by barren ice. So it seems that they overcome this by leaving trails of scent behind as they walk, and it offers another reason why polar bears might struggle in a warmer world. If the sea ice becomes more fragmented as a result of climate change, it may be harder for them to actually find each other. So I thought that was a really interesting study, Journal of Zoology, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you guys can go and read the article for yourself and look at the study but um really interesting stuff stinky feet (laughs) they talk with stinky feet (laughs) that's that's very cool very cool so yeah polar bears are pagophilic which is a term that is used for organisms that are associated with the ice and are usually dependent on part of it for at least part of their life cycle now Grizzlies in the northern part of Alaska, they will encounter ice, and but they feed a lot on fish. Polar bears prefer to eat seals, which are around the ice, and they spend a lot of their time around ice, where these ringed seals, which they especially prefer, are. Technically, everything I've seen describes polar bears as carnivorous, but there are periods of time where there is not a lot of sea ice available, and they seem to become omnivorous. Is that correct, Adam? Yeah, that's a really interesting phenomenon that we are seeing more and more. You know, for the longest time, um, the ice-free period, which is when all the sea ice has has vanished from the shorelines and the bears can no longer hunt seals on there, polar bears were said to be fasting during that ice-free time. And that's really not correct. And now talking, again, to the Inuit up north and to researchers uh, across the planet, it's you know they've been eating inland on scavenging caribou and uh, even eating plants, which uh, is a very grizzly-like behavior. But hmm. but another interesting thing is they've been actually known to decimate colonies of seabirds because they'll scale up giant cliffs and just vacuum up all the eggs and eat the eggs and like one they go. Oh wow! Uh, awesome! Oh my gosh! If you if you think about the size of a polar bear, they could definitely take down a lot of eggs to to give them enough protein and, and fat that they need to to survive. So uh, it's a really I'm just freaked out by the idea of a polar bear scaling a cliff. That's like, ah! <laughs> there, there are some pretty amazing pictures you can Google. Like, it, they're, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a flabbergasting thing to see, you know? All right, well, it's disclaimer time. The Varmints Podcast knows that it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then we only really have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Chris on Facebook asks, can I use a well-trained polar bear to spy on Santa? (laughs) (laughs) They don't seem all that smart to me. I gotta, I mean, it seems like when I do research on these animals and it's just a, I mean, I'm not an animal expert. I just do a tiny bit of research, but it seems like the higher up on the food chain you are, kind of the dumber you are because you don't really have to solve problems or, or fix things to, you just, you just do and you go and hunt and eat and you do what you want. And I, I, polar bears just don't seem all that smart to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, intelligence is a hard thing to gauge in that respect. Um, it really is. And we talk about it every week. And every week we're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> so we that's always... why we started We started adding style points. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm, not, I'm definitely not an expert either. But I have, I mean, I went to try to get a biology degree i wanted to be an animal behaviorist and i got through all the beginning work so i have at least a touch of what people are doing when they study this kind of stuff and 
And the questions are always head scratchers, it seems to me. Like, first you have to define what you're talking about, and it's just a mess. So <laughs> we, we, just, we just end up going, we don't know. We're just, it's all subjective. But it's, it's, it's interesting to hear scientists talk about it because they're like, Oh, okay. Well, what kind of intelligence are we talking about? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so it's always pretty crazy. So, um, but I, I thought that they were pretty bright in the stuff that I did. But I'd like to have just just our guest talk about it because he seems to know a yeah. lot about this. And I thought it was yeah. Amazing. Well, polar bears definitely learn uh, well. Their their whole survival is based on learning to hunt from their mothers. Um, so by the time they're about two years old um, or three years old, somewhere in that range, they've they've learned to hunt seals from their mothers really effectively. And that's kind of when they venture off on their own. In the circus days, they were able to train black bears and things like that. Um, so I, my inkling would be that you could train a polar bear to do uh, tricks if you wanted to, but uh, I think it would be a a risky and tricky proposition to do it with a polar bear versus a black bear. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a really interesting study that I did find as well where uh, they looked at a whole slew of captive mammals, uh, including polar bears. And the polar bears actually scored a much higher uh, percentage of correct um, solutions to this logic puzzle they gave them. 70% um, versus 35% for other other animals like uh, foxes and otters and wolves and tigers. I'm not sure the exact structure of the experiment and how they did it, but um, again, the bears seem to score a higher uh, success rate. So that's, it is some evidence that they're, they're intelligent, but uh, how they compare it to things like other marine mammals, which we know to be quite intelligent and communicative, uh, that's still kind of unknown, but... So on a scale of one to ten, what do you give a polar bear? Yeah, I'd say again, like somewhere in the six to seven range. Again, that, that logic puzzle kind of swayed me a little bit because uh, I've always I've always been yeah. of the opinion as well that they're you know, animals of instinct. Mm -hmm. But of course, there is uh, a lot of a lot we don't know about how their brains work and how they learn. So yeah, I think six to seven somewhere in there, based on their ability to learn and, and adapt to different conditions. My ex brother-in-law worked in the Arctic on a project I can't talk about because it's government stuff. Uh, but <laughs> his anecdotal stories about the base that they had to go and do their work at in the Arctic and the stories that the scientists there told him and the people running the, the, the base told him made me think, like, polar bears are really good at breaking into things no matter how hard you don't want them to. So they seem to be able to, if they're food motivated, they can... They can crack just any puzzle you give them. Just if it's about food, they seem to be, they seem to be single-minded when it comes to food, and they will crack the puzzle up from sheer stubbornness. Um, is the the impression that I've gotten from the people that gave anecdotal stuff to my ex-brother-in-law? So, um, yeah. So I kind of would, I'd go up to six or seven as well, just based on that. So. It was interesting. They were like, yeah, would you try to keep them out of your trailer? Just try. That's <laughs> <laughs> not happening. <laughs> you just clear out and you wait until they're done. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that would probably be the best plan in that situation for sure. But, uh, and, and, and you're definitely right. Food is the motivator of their lives. Uh, like I said, the, when the sea ice leaves and they're, and they're stuck without seals, that's a really crucial part of their lifestyle. And so finding food is, mm -hmm. their, is their main motivation. And fattening up for the winter season, especially the females and things like that. So yeah, there's a lot of different uh, motivators, but food is, is primary to the bears, I think. Well, hey, we are going to talk about polar bears and pop culture, and we are going to answer a few more of your Facebook questions. But we're going to do that right after this message. 
Hi, I'm Tawny Flattis, and I host the Dirty Bits podcast, a show where I very casually retell the sexy, scandalous, and salacious stories your teacher probably left out. We premiere a new episode every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Visit us at tawnyvoice.com slash dirtybits to learn more. See you next Tuesday. And now for something completely different. Hey, the three of us, we're nerds just like you, and we don't see animals up close and in person very often, except for maybe Adam. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about where we see them most of the time on movies, TV, and video games. At the top of the show, we played a clip from the television show Lost, which was a good show. I enjoyed it, but I think it was a much darker, you know, Gilligan's Island. But it had <laughs> polar bears on it. And uh, there's not much to say about the polar bears on the show Lost. In the show, the Dharma Initiative captured and brought polar bears to a mysterious island to do some electromagnetic testing on them. Mm. And survivors of the plane crash on the island occasionally encountered and were threatened by escaped CGI polar bears. And so during the whole show, there's references to polar bears that are made throughout and flash forwards and flash backwards or whatever they call those things. And there's polar bears all over the place in Lost. And the other little pop culture reference I just wanted to sneak in, and it's something that Adam and I have in common, is kind of the irritation that we both have that polar bears and penguins are pictured together a lot in pop culture. Um, Gary Larson, the cartoonist for the Far Side cartoon, he made at least one really funny cartoon with a polar bear wearing a penguin mask <laughs> in amongst a group of <laughs> penguins on an ice floe that were starting to get suspicious about the disappearance of their friends, and it's a really funny cartoon. And he later acknowledged, because he got letters from really nerdy fans, that he knew that polar bears and penguins don't live together, but, you know, it's a cartoon, and just <laughs> relax. <laughs> it's a trope that is, like, everywhere in video games and even music and you know, comic books and cartoons of all sorts. Um, the Coca-Cola commercials that were in the 90s pictured uh, polar bears and penguins together, and they just, they don't live together. <laughs> so, I think it's amazing their range is like, it's all the way up the coast of South America, penguins, and like a little tiny island off the coast there, and then that's it. They were like, we're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> polar bears and penguins could not be farther apart. No, they couldn't. It's like... There's just no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the ice bears in the his Dark Materials trilogy by uh, Philip Pullman. So it is uh, the Golden Compass is where you're going to hear this clip from that we're going to play. It is a 2007 British-American fantasy adventure film based on Northern Lights, which is the first novel in the trilogy, His Dark Materials. And um, it has Nicole Kidman and Dakota Blue and Daniel Craig and Sam Elliott. And the voice of the bear in question is Ian McKellen. He's voiced by Gandalf. It's when the film depicts the adventures of Lyra Bellacqua, an orphan living in a parallel universe on a world that looks a lot like our own. And on her world, a dogmatic ruling power called the Magisterium opposes free inquiry. So Yorick Berenson is a male armored bear of a race of polar bear-like creatures in this book. He follows a very strict code of conduct and will not in any situation betray a promise he's made. He is really strong and like a lot of his kind, he's an expert metal worker. So during the first book, 
he's found shaping metal for humans in an Arctic port town. And these humans had deceived him by giving him spirits, i.e. <laughs> booze, <laughs> and they stole his <laughs> sky armor from him while he was intoxicated, <laughs> and this left him no choice but to work for humans. <laughs> so there's a whole story about getting his armor back, a whole bunch of things happen, and he and a regiment of his subjects uh, go to fight and take his place as the rightful king of the ice bears. And so basically in the clip you're going to hear, he is fighting the evil Ice King guy, and the Ice King has just basically beat the poop out of him. <laughs> Is that all? <gasps> oh, we're sharing the whole fight here. <laughs> We're probably gonna have to edit this out. <laughs> That's okay. They're fighting. He's limping over yes. to him. That is all. That is all. Has who is your king? You still own my contract. It's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Um, he basically is, he's got an honor debt to her, basically, is what he's talking about. So, but uh, yeah, so he was, a, it's a story of a fallen king. He's the real king of the bears, and um, an usurper has taken his place and he has to go take it back. So. Um, really good series of books. It's young adult fiction, but definitely consumable by adults, and I really enjoyed that whole series. So, cool. Go, go and uh, check it out. The movie was. Are there penguins in it? <laughs> no, I don't remember any penguins in it. I don't remember. It's been a few years since I read the books, and I haven't seen the movie for a while either. So I couldn't say a hundred percent, but I don't think there are. So. Yeah, it's right. mostly just ice bears and little kids solving mysteries. <laughs> Adam, you brought a pop culture reference this week. I did. It's one of my favorites, actually. The uh, So, yeah, again, I'm a big comic fan. Uh, I've been reading comic books my whole life, and the movies, when they started coming out, really, uh, again, I love all the movies as well. Even the bad ones I, I find entertaining. But uh, we missed out on a really good bad movie years ago called uh, Superman Lives. And if you haven't ever read anything ab about this, <laughs> I really encourage you to go read about it because there's some amazing pictures of Nicolas Cage with his long, scraggly Con Air hair in a Superman outfit. And he just looks so out of place. Um, Kevin Smith wrote the script. And at some point, he, he recounted uh, his experiences working on this. And uh, the producer... Uh, of the movie insisted that uh, there be polar bears guarding Superman's Fortress of Solitude and he that the polar bears were fighting off Brainiac who is a an alien in a giant like skull ship with lasers and stuff and uh why <laughs> and the whole thing to me again it was just ridiculous because again Superman can literally move planets he blasts lasers out of his eyes and uh, as tough and fearsome as polar bears are I don't think they would do any better of a job of guarding his Fortress of Solitude than uh, than Superman himself would. But uh, 
No. Maybe it was for the intimidation factor, like a big muscle-bound dude bro wearing a tat-out t-shirt <laughs> or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, also, just to relate it back to your first comment about, uh, you know, people not understanding where these animals live, uh, the producer was also insistent that this was in Antarctica, uh, and that's where the Fortress of Solitude was, and that's where the polar bears were, which obviously is not, not true. Um, <laughs> so, there, so there was a nice uh, a nice callback to this actually in the Man of Steel movie with Henry Cavill uh, when he does take his his ship up to the Arctic and he plants the Fortress of Solitude there. Uh, there are just there are two polar bears just kind of hanging out on the ice floe watching him do it. So they are not guarding anything, but they uh, they threw that in there I think as a reference to that uh, ridiculous lost movie. <laughs> it's like Fortress of Solitude, Superman, Polar Bears, Superman. I'm just glad they didn't have, they didn't have Superman like fighting the polar bears or punching them into the space or something like that. But <laughs> oh, I really want to see that ridiculous lost movie now. Maybe the maybe the polar bears are just like the staff that handles the facility when he's not there. You know, they're like. Oh, in the comics, <laughs> Superman's got a bunch of like super robots to do that. So yeah, instead of uh, the robots. So they don't even need that. Well, well I was that. gonna say instead of that, maybe he could uh, he could train up some bears to do the uh, the maintenance around the fortress instead. Well, they have a seal infestation problem, so you gotta... There you go. It's for the seals. <laughs> you gotta have them to control the seal population. That's what it is. Otherwise, you just get, like, a whole colony of seals, like, hanging out in the Fortress of Solitude, and that's super stinky, so... Yeah, and they could be those troublemaking seals, too, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, you know, <laughs> but... Yeah, they could be, but... yeah. They raid the liquor cabinet, and it's just a mess. Get rid of the riffraff seals. There, there is a very fun <laughs> documentary about that movie, though, if you look for it. It's, uh, it's, it's well worth the hour of your time to watch. Cool. I uh, will put the documentary in the show notes. <laughs> That's great. I like to eat. Oh, I like to eat, too. Adam, uh, you have not eaten polar bear. I have not. I've eaten a lot of Arctic things, but... Uh, Definitely not, but but uh, <laughs> no polar bear. Um, again, they, the Inuit are super dependent on on the wildlife for food. Um, so they've tried most things that move in that part of the world, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've never been part of a polar bear hunt. Um, and like I said, the, as toxicologists, we don't really tranquilize bears. That's more the population guys that do that to, to collar them and stuff. But uh, if I was on a polar bear hunt, I would try it. Sure, I would too. Yeah, well, why not? No, it's uh, not going to hurt you um, unless you eat the liver, which can kill you, actually. But uh, okay, how can polar bear liver kill you? I want to hear this. So yeah, the vitamin A content um, in the liver is so high uh, that you can actually get retinol poisoning, and uh, it would just basically overwhelm your liver, uh, which is your detoxification center and responsible for producing a lot of different um, vitamins, minerals, and not well, minerals, vitamins and enzymes and things that your body needs. Um, so yeah, toxifying the liver like that is a pretty quick death sentence. The, uh, I think the Inuit found that out the hard way many, many years ago. Um, and also, not just, the, not just the vitamin A, but also mercury uh, builds up in the liver, and so do things called surfac fluorinated surfactants, which are really high concentration chemicals that we find in the Arctic as well. Um, so not only are you getting natural toxin from the vitamin A, but you'd be taking in a lot of very harmful contaminants as well. Oh, wow. Holy cow, okay. Donna, how about you? Or would you eat polar bear? Or would you eat any bear? Um, I've had grizzly, and it's not good. So <laughs> I have family in Montana, so it's I've eaten a lot of things that people hunt. Um, but, uh, 
nah, I probably wouldn't, and it's mostly, I just don't, I don't know, bears are not in the food box, and there's no logical reason for it, so, um, <laughs> I think if somebody offered me polar bear meat here, I would be suspicious of how it was sourced, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be confident that it was sourced in a legal and responsible manner, so I'd probably turn it down, <laughs> um, but if I, I was up in the Arctic and part of a polar bear hunt and people and probably wouldn't do that but it just in the case that I ever happened I might give it a taste but so I'm just gonna have to say no in general the circumstance in which I would eat it is so remote that it <laughs> probably doesn't even bear talking about and I should just <laughs> shut up <laughs> yeah I, again I, I, they're not in the food box <laughs> I have I have been told anecdotally by uh, my friend who uh, is kind of my guru up north um, that mm-hmm. the bear meat is quite sour and, and tough and again that, mm. that makes sense the, the stress the bears are under all the time and the, how much their muscles are working and things it's uh, apparently not tasty but a lot of the elders do like it and in the Greenland uh, Inuit do eat polar bear quite frequently and in some parts of the Canadian Arctic too I don't want to imply that they don't but uh, a lot of the younger kind of people that I've met and hang out with up north they uh, aren't super into it so hmm. Hmm. Yeah. all right well we have two more questions from Facebook that uh, we can wrap this show up with is this your homework Larry? Look, man do it- please so the first question comes from Carrie. She asks, how far south can we see polar bears and how far north? With the shift in climate change, what does that mean for the existence of its kind? Do you want to field this one, Adam? Sure. So yeah, the how far north is kind of a tricky question because people only really live up to a certain point. Um, we have scientific bases that are in alert Nunavut, which is uh, quite high up there, but really people only live up to about the 76th parallel um so not right up to the north pole but there have been people that have seen or cataloged bears at the 88th parallel uh, sorry around the 90th parallel which is pretty close to the top uh of the planet but um yeah that's uh, that's again anecdotally what uh, how far I, I, they could range further north but again they probably want to stay um a little bit further south but uh now in terms of how far how far south they go You'll find them as far south as 52 degrees north, which is in the southern Hudson Bay region. Um, and that's in northern Ontario, actually. So people you know, often think that these bears are always in the Northwest Territories or Nunavut. Um, but polar bears do live in Manitoba and Ontario, which are considered uh, you know, southern provinces, really. Um, so that's, yeah, that's as far south as they would go. Okay, do they ever get anywhere close to like populated areas? They definitely get close to populated areas. Uh, Churchill, Manitoba is one of the uh, polar bear capitals, so a lot of polar bears move past there, and it's a good place to see polar bears, but it's also a dangerous area for obvious reasons. And in the southern Hudson Bay area, like I was was talking about, the furthest south, there's quite a lot of communities around there, uh, often very small, but it's just one one of those things where if you're living around an area where polar bears are, you get used to the idea that you have to be very vigilant and very uh, careful about what you're doing and um, and not be you know ignorant about how you're behaving around the bears. Something that's been happening now that's increasingly disturbing is people seem to think it's a smart idea to feed polar bears um, and oh, no. and things like that. And you know the polar mm-hmm. bears do do start are starting to get into communities more, especially when they're desperate for food. So they're they're scavenging in the dumps and things like black bears do. And yeah, again, people in their want to get close to the animals seem to be, you know, trying to feed them in certain parts of the Arctic now. And that's really, really 
a bad idea. You don't want to domesticate a bear in any way or have it get curious and come around the community because it will have to be killed. And that's not what anybody wants, I don't think. Right. So climate change is a huge factor in uh, polar bear life now. Um, we're very concerned about it, and there's a ton of research going on on exactly how climate change is affecting the environment, but also how it's relating to these animals. And again, there's population experts studying this. I'm a toxicologist, and I'm studying it. All facets of, of science, essentially, in the Arctic deal with climate change now, too. So those further south populations are, are experiencing the effects of climate change more. And again, that, that increases the ice-free times. And again, it seems to be where we're seeing the bears scavenge more and move inland more. So they're definitely trying to adapt to the climate change issues with their behavior at the moment. Um, we don't know how it's going to play out. We've never experienced anything like this. Um, so all we can do is, is do our best to understand it and observe and do what we can to you know, mitigate climate change. But it's, uh, it's a tough question and um, we don't really know the answer yet. But uh, you know, I think ursids, bears in general, have proven themselves highly adaptable to a huge number of niches in the world. So if an animal has a chance at, you know, changing their behavior and surviving, I think bears are, are a good candidate to do it. But there's a huge rate range. And when you talk to different bear experts, you get the doom and gloom kind of perspective. And then you get this overly optimistic perspective. I sit somewhere in the middle where I'm, I'm hopeful that the polar bears will survive. But uh, again, we, we really don't know at this point. So our last question comes from Sarah. She asks, Zoo enclosures always seem especially small for polar bears, which are such large animals. Does that stress them out? Um, I'm no expert, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that probably depending on the zoo, that yeah, polar bears might be a little bit stressed out in their enclosures. Now, I love zoos and aquariums. I learn something every time I go to one. Um, I went to SeaWorld some years ago where they do have a polar bear exhibit, and just being that close to one even on a you know behind plexiglass you get to appreciate how enormous these bears are and they're amazing now i can't go on an african safari or on an arctic circle adventure because i don't have the money to do that so you know zoos and aquariums are the way i see these animals in something that resembles their natural habitat now i think I have a hard time sometimes with the zoos and aquariums because I encourage people to go to them. But at the same time, if you put me in the presidential suite of a five-star hotel and gave me the best food from room service every day with the caveat that I can't leave and go anywhere, I don't know if I'd be happy or not. Maybe I'd be thrilled. But, um, you know, I think it just depends on the zoo or aquarium and it depends on the animal and it depends on how well the zoo tries to take care of that animal. You know, I think some zoos and aquariums do a really, really great job of taking care of their animals the best that they can. And I would say support those zoos and aquariums. What do you think? What do you guys think? I can only go on. I mean, I'm obviously pro zoo for reasons that have to do with doing science. And they're, they need, they're becoming something other than they used to be. I mean, just having animals to look at because we want them is not a good enough reason, but to do research and to have them as genetic arcs, are, that's important. To have them be doing programs that we can hopefully reintroduce species that are going extinct into the wild is important, and you know, it would be ideal if we didn't have to do this, but we kind of do right now, so 
Yeah, it's hard. I don't know. But I think it, that's why there's so much animal en enrichment in zoos. I have a lot of friends that work in zoos. Our polar bears in the Denver Zoo seem okay. They don't uh, pace. They don't rock back and forth. They don't have a lot of those behaviors that make you think they're really going nuts. But the enclosure is small, and I would rather that it was a lot bigger. But they give them stuff to do all day long, and they just they really work hard to keep them occupied because they don't want them to get bored and, and have problems and stuff. So uh, I think it, ideally you wouldn't have them there at all, but... Yeah, I just don't know. I think it depends on the animal, it depends on the zoo, and it certainly depends on the experience of the scientists that are doing the work, you know, so. Yeah, again, I, uh, I'm i not sure. It's hard to gauge stress in a captive animal versus wild animals as well. Uh, we measure a hormone yeah. called cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Um, but again, comparing a cortisol on a captive bear to a wild bear, polar bears are stressed out a lot in the wild too because of the lack, mm -hmm. a lack of food and lack of mates and things like mm -hmm. that. So it's hard to say. Uh, again, like you said, I think it really depends on the, the place and how they're treated. Yeah, it, I, I, would, I would venture to guess that they are somewhat stressed in zoo situations just because they range so far in nature. You know, they can cover hundreds of kilometers a day on the ice uh, or swimming through the ocean. And no matter how much space we try to give them in a zoo, it's not going to be that big. But uh, I don't know. It's, uh, again, I'm, a, I'm up two minds on this whole situation. But... Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to gauge, but there are some pretty fantastic facilities that do a, a great job with it, too. So, I think that it would be interesting to have virtual zoos happen where you have cameras in a natural environment. Mm. And you have a place where you can show up and get lectures from scientists and ecologists that are working on different stuff. And, you know, maybe the smaller animals that are a little bit easier to take care of and study in a zoo environment. When you go visit them, you can also go into a booth and see the you know, the polar bear refuge as you go into the area instead of an actual polar bear or whatever. So there's lots of ideas that I've seen just been reading about that I think are interesting. Yeah, well, actually, it's funny you say that, too. There was uh, an organization uh, that I work with, and they put together a virtual reality uh, immersive like event thing that went along with a movie uh, that they filmed aboard the Amundsen, which is an icebreaker that treks through the Arctic and does all kinds of cool work. Uh -huh. So I got to put on the virtual helmet and it's so hard to explain to people the kind of work we do in the North, uh, the kind of challenges you experience and the things you see. So it was a really kind of wild experience to put this helmet on and be back in the Arctic instantly. And uh, you know, you can turn around and look at 360 degrees and see everything around you. And so doing that with some animals would be pretty incredible. Even They could even, you know, find an excavated polar bear den and climb in there and see it. Uh, Ooh, that would be cool. That would be really cool. Just, just, yeah, they, they'd have, <laughs> to, be really neat. have to make sure the bears were long gone, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, they could definitely do some really cool stuff with uh, virtual reality and immersive technology like that. Adam Morris, thank you so, so much for spending your time with us today. We really, really do appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Yes. I was looking forward to it. Yeah, what's your... What's your Twitter address one more time? At Adam D. Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S. Excellent. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, the Varmints podcast is brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo and music by Kevin McLeod, as always, and by you, the Patreon supporter. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for kicking in a dollar or two every month to make sure that we can keep bringing you this podcast. We really, really do appreciate it. This week on the Rugrat Corner, Keenan has some very interesting thoughts about polar bears. Uh, say hello to Donovan Paul. Hi, Donovan Paul. So, Keenan, what's your favourite fact about polar bears? That they're left-handed. They're left-handed? Yeah. Why are they left-handed? Do, to catch fish better with the left hand. 
Are you left or right-handed? I'm right-handed. And do you think you could catch fish with your right hand? Yeah. Better than a polar bear? Yeah. And what else do you know about <laughs> polar bears? That their skin are transparent. Their skin's transparent? Yeah. Like a ghost? Yeah. How come you can see them then? Because they're... Um, um, Is it the way the light hits them? No, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The oldest <laughs> polar bear in captivity, who was female, died in her mid-40s. Do you think that's old? Yeah. Do you think that's older or younger than me? Younger. So you think I'm older than 40? Yeah. Oh, I'm a very old polar bear, am I? Yeah. <laughs> what about grandma then? Do you think She's gra- a sea bear. And what do polar bears eat? <laughs> they eat meat and fish and vegetables. Where do you think they get their vegetables from? Um, from the snow. Have you ever seen vegetables grow in the snow? Maybe they're probably like invisible. <laughs> invisible vegetables like invisible polar bears? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for telling me about polar bears. Do you like varmints? Yeah. What's your favourite episode? The otters. You like the otters one? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Say goodbye Maybe to everyone. Bye. Thank you, Keenan. Thank you, Keenan. That was his aunt Stacy. Stacy is from the Rough Giraffe podcast, which is hilarious and wonderful, and you should be listening to it. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everybody, again for listening, and until next time... Be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. That's what your uh, your your CI. <laughs> <laughs>